With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Oh, baby, what a great day. It's 9 o'clock. Welcome. Don't at me. You guys have made this show kind of popular, and I appreciate you. Speaking of popular, the great Urban Meyer. Nice enough to join us from Sarasota. Getting ready to play a little pickleball. Um, are you, are you like in the rankings of pickleball? Is there like, you know, are you in the hierarchy in your neighborhood at least? No, I'm actually one of the older guys. So I, I, you know, like in kickball in second grade, you get picked last. I'm kind of the last pick, but we won today, so we're all right. Hey, uh, college football starting. People have asked me this question. You know better than I. This is a this is an off season unlike any other. You got NIL. You got guys making commercials. People have asked me this. I think I know the answer, but is is commercials and NIL a distraction in season, or are all these things or most of these things that these guys are doing done by the time camp got started? You know, I've asked that question because I, it, you know, I, I guess you, I don't want to be one of those old guys who sit back and say, well, we didn't have to deal with that. We had to deal with all kinds of stuff. And I think Chip Kelly was at the Fox seminar and he said, you know, it's never been better. You know, do players deserve to get stipends and get paid? Absolutely they do. When you start seeing about the money that the Big Ten now is going to secure with NBC and, and uh, uh, CBS and then Fox, you know, you're darn right they deserve that money. Now, you know, the problem is how do you regulate all that? And how do you keep players focused on academics and football? Because a good, a good portion of those players, once they're finished playing college football, it's over. And that NLI, you, know, you talk about money going away fast. Unless they have a degree, a job, a future, the NIL money will disappear quickly. Does it – guys aren't missing practice to go do a commercial, right? No. No, I, th- I think like everything, you know, I, I think a lot of this has been well overblown. I know that uh, – uh, I know that, you know, even in the days when you say, well, these schools are cheating, these schools are making – you know, it turns out a lot of this is well overblown. Well overblown. Hey, Urban, when, when you see um, – you mentioned Fox and CBS and NBC. It's, you know, the Big Ten just signed this billion-dollar-a-year deal or at least a billion-dollar deal. People are saying, well, you know, nobody promotes their own like ESPN. You recruited forever. Uh, is not being on ESPN any way, shape, or form problematic for the Big Ten? I think it is. I think we'll see what happens. You know, I think, you know, that – Everybody has to take care of its own, and, and that's the first reaction I had is that SEC owns a, or the ESPN basically owns or runs the SEC or very involved in the SEC and ACC. Will that hurt the Pac-12, Big 12, and Big 10? You know, it's supposed to not, but I can't imagine how it will not because they have bills to pay as well. So 
That's going to be very interesting. I know one thing, Fox is all in on this Big Ten now, all in. And uh, they're committed to this. This is, you know, you have UCLA and USC joining the conference. You know, there's a lot of people out there that feel that within five years, it's just going to be Fox and the SEC or Fox and ESPN, Big Ten and SEC, and then other teams joining in. How surprised were you or were you surprised when USC and UCLA joined the Big Ten? I was very surprised. I heard uh, rumblings about it, but I just can't imagine uh, the Pac-12 without those two schools. You remember, and Matt Leiner and Reggie Bush are part of the Fox team. There was a time where the Pac-12 was one, maybe the most difficult conference in the country. When I was growing up, it was uh, uh, Pete Carroll, and you know, shoot before that, Larry Smith, Terry Donahue. You had Arizona State, Washington won in a national title. You had great, still have great programs out there. That's hard to imagine that the two flagship universities are out. You know, what happens to the other you- Pac-12 teams? Go ahead. I lost you. Uh, you were going to say what happens to the other Pac-12 teams. Let me ask you, what does happen? I mean, you know Phil Knight, right? He's a friend of yours. I can't imagine he's going to do anything other than try to get Oregon into the Big Ten. Washington is a partner. You see that happening? I think Chris Peterson said it best, and I know we talk, spent some time out there in, in California together recently. And you know what happens to – is the trickle-down effect going to take place out west? You know, will that impact high school football? Will that impact the interest level in in football in the in the west? And like I was saying a few minutes ago, there was a time where the, the west coast had as good as football or better than most teams in the country. And it's so hard to imagine. You wake up one day, uh, Texas is not playing Texas A&M. Arkansas is out of the Big 12 or the Southwest Conference area. Nebraska's in some different conference. Now you got these other two jumping ship. You know, it's just hard to even envision that would have happened. You know, 20 years ago, if you would have said this is going to happen, it's like, no way. Hey, I'm going to go back to something you said. You said that you see Fox and the Big Ten in one side, ESPN in the SEC. How, how many team playoff do you envision how quickly and – how do you see that whole thing set up? You know, do you see it divisions, you know, Big Ten quadrant, maybe a SEC quadrant? How do you see it set up? You know, I've heard and been involved in many conversations about it. And I don't think anyone has an idea. I think there is unanimous agreement that it needs to expand because what's happened in the minute teams start getting out of the playoff run, players start sitting out, games become unimportant, and that's not good for the game of football. So more teams need to be involved. How they do that, you know, and when do they do that? Um, it's pure speculation, and I can't even go there right now. But I think it's going to be a minimum of eight. I think at some point it'll be 12. It'll be a 12-team playoff. How that looks and what conferences will be involved. You still have some great teams in the ACC, some great teams in the Big 12. You know, I, I think it's all positioning right now. And then you got the X factors, Notre Dame. What does Notre Dame do? Hey, let me, uh, let me go to the SEC. You coach, you and Saban's best coaching matchup of this generation. What makes Saban so good? What makes him so tough to play other than great players? You know, I think saying great players is unfair. You know, there's a lot of teams that recruit really well and just check the rankings. Uh, sometimes teams don't play very well. He, he has uh, 
uh, he does as good a job as developing players and adapting to his personnel that I've seen and the consistency, which uh, that's extremely hard nowadays to be consistently great. You, you know, it, it's, it's almost impossible what he's done. And so I think, you know, I, I tell the story quite often when you're getting ready to play a team, one of the first things I would always do on a Sunday when I get ready for the next team, I'd start watching their special teams. And I knew after about an hour, if we were in a street fight or if we we're going to beat that team, I knew within an hour because I would watch closely that the develop or the uh, who, first of all, who was playing special teams. And second of all, how well coached were they? If they're good players were on special teams and they were well coached, I knew this was a well-coached team and we're in a street fight. And I would tell our staff that you better be right on your note on, on your game because this is going to be a tough one. There's other games you get ready to play and you look at special teams. The good players weren't playing. You can tell they didn't spend much time on it. And, you know, if we just took care of business, we'd probably beat that team to beat that team soundly. Every time you play a saving team, every position on that field is well-coached. You always had some of your best players on special teams, and you mentioned Saban uh, does that as well. Let me ask you a silly question. Why wouldn't you have some of your better players, better athletes on special teams? You worried about injury? Is that the reason some coaches don't? Yeah, and I think, uh, uh, firstly, first of all, injuries, but then, you know, so many coaches are so dialed into either an offensive scheme or defensive scheme, and they would not risk one of their better players on special. I never quite understood that. Um, Zeke Elliott was our starting contained man on kickoff. Devin Smith was our best gunner. You know, Carlos Hyde was a right guard on punt. You know, so we would always, we had a rule. You had to start on two special teams before you had to, were able to play offense or defense. Hey, is there such thing? Can there be a sleeper team in the SEC given how good the top is? Oh, yeah. Heck, yeah. Uh, uh, I've been actually watching a lot of that film, getting ready for our, our shows coming up. And uh, the one thing about the SEC is now that's as talented, you know, from top to bottom. No other conference has eight, eight teams that really believe that they can compete for a national title. No other conference has that. SEC, there's eight, eight programs right now that believe that they'll be in the mix for a, a playoff spot. I'm not trying to disparage anyone in the Big Ten, but when you went from Florida to Ohio State, how how quick or maybe uh, – or did you uh, see a, 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 a talent and a speed and however else you wanted to find a discrepancy between the two leagues? Oh, yeah. It, it, right immediately in 2012, uh, we saw – I mean, I started watching film, getting ready to play, and and it, it was night and day in and, and the Big Ten. 10 really didn't nationally recruit very well. You know, it was more everybody was in their footprint. And there were great players, just one the quality, the depth uh, that you had. And I'd like to think that our staff was really one of the first ones. To, we went to Georgia, we went to Texas, we went all over the country. And that doesn't mean there aren't great players in Ohio. There's certainly great players. It's just the reality that there's fewer now than there was. There was a time 25 years ago where you could fill a team in, with Ohio and Western Pennsylvania players. Reality is that's not, it just doesn't happen now. Uh, there's times where you can get five, six, seven Ohio players on your team. There's other times you get two. So, yeah, the reality is that the Big Ten uh, in 2012, you look where they're now nationally recruiting, uh, I think it's much different. Why was Ryan Day the guy? What did you see in Ryan Day? 
I just like to use the word with the elite. You know, he was, uh, first of all, an elite offensive coach, but that there's a lot of elite offensive coaches. I I loved his work ethic. I loved the fact that he's a player first a coach, like we all were at Ohio State, and making sure he carry on the, you know, the infrastructure of safety of players and the offseason and the nutrition, all the things that makes, in my mind, Ohio State, uh, if not the top program, one of the top two programs in America. Um, the, he also had a great infrastructure surrounding him, and he kept those guys. And then the fact that he now he, you know, you see he's made some changes on his staff, he, which is hard to do. He makes he makes good decisions, and uh, you know this is a big year for him. You know this is uh, I love Ryan Day. Uh, we're still extremely close, and this is a big year. There they are, a loaded team right now. I mean, a lot of people feel like, you know, and again, you studied this. A lot of people feel like they're on the level of Alabama. You feel that way? Oh, I do. You know, the one thing about Ryan, too, is I, I just a funny story is, you know, he was in the NFL for two years and they got let go with the Eagles and then they got let go of San Francisco. And I remember when I was talking to Gene Smith or talking to, you know, I'm going to hire Ryan Day. Ryan Day was a graduate assistant for me at, at uh, Florida. I've always had great respect for him, tremendous coach. And uh, I remember them saying, are you sure you want to hire Ryan Day? And I was like, What's your, what do you mean? He said, well, the last two jobs they've had, they really struggled. And I said, that's not Ryan Day. So uh, obviously he's done good. But I, I think there are every bit the talent level um, of Alabama right now. Can, can Notre Dame run with Ohio State in the opener? I think they can. You know, I, I watched a lot of their tape. You know, I think, you know, this Marcus Freeman, he played at Ohio State. Uh, I know him a little bit. Very, very uh, great person. Um, everybody respects him. He's 30, I think, 36 years old. He's the head coach at Notre Dame. And he lost in the bowl game. And here he goes into Ohio Stadium. Well, that's tough, too. First, first two games. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think Notre Dame is very talented. I think uh, I think Reese does a really good job on offense. I've been studying the offense. He does a really good job. Uh, I think it's going to be a great game. Do you see more games like that? I mean, you guys played Oklahoma. You played Virginia Tech. You know, as, as a basketball coach, I, I don't like where college basketball is heading. Big games like that are played in, like, Maui, right? Or they're played on a neutral field, neutral court. Um, with the playoff structure, we got to have more games like that. You know, you think you, you need need those games, but then a lot of teams I see aren't doing it. Uh, Alabama, I think this is the first game that they're, we have it. Fox has it in Austin, Texas against Texas game two. And I think I read a stat somewhere that Alabama has not played on someone else's campus, uh, non-conference and, since Saban's been there. <laughs> You know, they would play They would play some big games, but they'd all be those neutral site games. So, uh, you know, I don't know if there's pressure on to get in the playoffs. I can't imagine the SEC with that schedule you play every, you know, every year. And, I mean, I was at Florida, and we played uh, the SEC and then Florida State every year. And people would say, well, you're playing three other soft ones. And I was like, you know, what, what do you want us to do? We play Miami every few years. But um, I think there's a lot of pressure for teams to play some big games early. I saw the SEC talking about going to nine games, one extra SEC game. You you think that's the right move? Yeah. As a as a fan and not in the SEC, sure. If I was coaching yeah. the SEC, the heavens, <laughs> no. No, we'll go give us another uh, non-conference game. I don't want to 
I don't want to wake up in Auburn, Alabama, or uh, South Carolina as my uh, ninth game. That's what I always said, man, as a 60-year-old as a guy that just puts his fat ass down on a TV, uh, watching the TV before on a Saturday. Play them all, man. Play them all. <laughs> right? Play them all. Play them all. Play around Robin for all I care. Hey, we're back on Big Noon Saturday, baby. It's a, I'm telling you, and I've told you this before. I've said this publicly. My opinion, and I love college football. I watch every Saturday. Your segments on, on that show are the best segments of any pregame show. I don't care if it's NFL, college basketball, college football game. I don't care. It's the best segments. What made you want to go back? Well, I love my team. I love uh, Reggie Bush, Matt Liner, Brady Quinn, and Rob Stone. Uh, the management of Fox treats you great. Um, when I was first approached three years ago, and I dealt with all with all of them, and, and it's true when Fox, it's all about celebrating a great game of football. And we just had a seminar, and that was the whole conversation. Yeah, there's NIL, there's Transfer Portal, but wait a minute. There's never been, it's never been more popular. The players have never been better. It's never been better coached. So enjoy the game and make sure the fans enjoy it. You guys are traveling, right, every week? Yeah, every week we're uh, first time ever. We're going to be on the road at, uh, at visiting stadiums every week and and get to experience uh, the game day atmosphere. What time's the pickleball game? Am I keeping you from it? Are we three minutes over? We, what do we got? No, we're what, what we got? Uh, we already, Yeah, we already played. We're done. Now it's workout number two. Oh, you already played? Yeah. What's that? I said workout number two is on its way. Well, workout one's done, so workout two is coming. Let me ask you a question. Are you, I mean, pickleball requires a certain amount of hand-eye coordination. You obviously have that from baseball and and playing. Um, Are you the kind of person in a pickleball game that just smashes the living hell out of the ball right at the person across from you, regardless of their man, woman, or child? Uh, that's I can't give away all our secrets. That's me and my partner. We we uh, we want to make sure our strategy stays secret. So it depends depends on who's on the other side. Is there a video? No. No, I mean, it's a private guess. My wife and I say, we, when we play tennis, no public courts, pickleball, nothing public. Nobody needs to see this act moving up and down. That's it. Nobody. Yeah, we we uh, make sure the gates are locked, too. Hey, my man, I appreciate you coming on. Congrats on the new gig. Happy for you. Thanks, Dan. Appreciate you, brother. Telling you, he's the best. It's the best segment on any pregame show in the country. I don't care whether it's NFL, it doesn't matter. Urban Myers pregame on Fox, his demonstration is by far the best thing you're going to hear. And look, uh, Fox Big Noon kickoff coming up here this summer is going or this win, or fall is going to be freaking great. I, you know, I, I my friend is Lee Fitting. Lee runs. Game day, and I've told him, I go, look, it's great with Corso. You got to have Corso, but the truth of the matter is, you got to have a coach in there. Players don't say anything interesting. Like the move now is to, well, we need people that have been around the game closer. If you really listen to a broadcast, name me the last time a player that didn't coach told you anything interesting. Like I had no idea that a fullback was the key 
to a wishbone offense. I had no idea that. Are you crazy? I didn't know that. And then Urban's shown it. He's shown the spread. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy. So let, name me. Anybody, uh, Barkley. Barkley's the only interesting guy or girl in any pregame show. I don't care what show it is. Players are fine. I mean, you want to giggle. You want to say yee-hee. You want to say, well, when I played, you want to give a play. Fine. But for people that love football, for people that want to actually get involved in what is going to happen in the game, coaches get it done. I mean, coaches that study. You know, I talk to people all the time, executives. Well, we want somebody that's closer to the game. So listen to a college basketball game. There are three guys broadcasting college basketball that know a damn thing about what's going to happen. You're supposed to forecast, which means say what's going to happen, right? You're supposed to analyze and give opinion. Football is worse than basketball. See, one of the things that you get into, and this is why I like Urban, Urban teaches you about what's going to happen. You know, you've got guys that have been on these college football shows for years and years and years, and not one of them has ever told you a thing. Apparently, Bob Yachts doesn't like F both of you. Good. I'll take all the F, and I'm proud to call Urban a friend. We had great conversations when I started this show and Urban was on with me. Great conversations about all the BS narratives about Urban. Oh, he kicked the guy. Oh, he did this. Shut up. And we talked about it then. This is about celebrating college football and his return. And I get a kick out of it. I do. I get a kick out of listening to people that have never met the man. Do you know what Urban did this week? Uh, Today's Tuesday. A week ago Wednesday. He calls me up from the home of a man named Chris Benedetto. Christy Benedetto's dad and mom and Chris had restaurants in Bowling Green. Christy Benedetto had an Italian restaurant that he opened. Christy Benedetto is dying. Christy Benedetto is in hospice care. Urban Meyer drove up. He drove up, and you know what he did? He just spent time with the mother and the father and Chris. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to do that at all. But he did it. Those are the things that people do that you never hear about. But I listen to all you clowns tell me, oh, pee's in a blank pot. I'm a bad guy. Urban's a bad guy. We're all bad guys because some D-bag writer doesn't like us. Who cares? What are you doing, Lee? Oh. Anyway, some writer wrote a story. Shut up. Let me tell you something. I've seen Urban Meyer do so many great things for so many people. You know who the only people that live perfect lives are? Media guys and people with fake Twitter accounts. That's it. That's it. Media guys live perfect lives, right? We're all supposed to genuflect the D-bag media guy. Oh, my God, did you read what he wrote? So what? Crap. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you who is going to get the benefit of Urban Meyer, Doug Peterson. See, you guys look at it like, well, you know, Urban was a meanie. Urban was so mean. No, no, no. Urban changed the culture. Urban got and went and did this. He got rid of people that were used to losing. Remember, this is a program that hadn't made the playoffs in 13 years. 
Then he started building a facility. Then he started treating players tough, really tough. Last time they had anybody in that building that treated anybody with any accountability, Tom Coughlin. Just stop it with the crap about Urban Meyer being a bad NFL coach. If they would have been smart enough to keep him, they would probably be in the playoffs this year. He drafted Travis Etienne, who's a great freaking pickup. You'll see it this year. He got hurt last year. You got to let Trevor Lawrence develop. Peyton Manning was like 13 touchdowns, 30 interceptions as a rookie. I'm so tired of crap. You know, I'm so tired of reading crap that just doesn't matter by people that don't matter even a little bit. Hurt people hurt people. So some little writer, we're doing a deep dive into Urban's tenure. Yeah, what you do, you know what you do? You get a bunch of guys that are mad, you get them together, and they say things. You know the name Marcus Williamson? Do you know that name? Let me give you what Marcus Williamson did the other day. Marcus Williamson is a guy that last year went out, and I mean just crushed Urban, Ohio State, white coaches, blah. He's a mouth. This always happens. Played at Ohio State. Former defensive back Marcus Williamson was arrested last night, charged with kidnapping, robbing, carjacking a woman in Tennessee. This is the guy that was a mouth last March or whenever it was going after Urban. Yeah, okay. Of course, people, honestly, this isn't the guy that I knew. Some writer. Yeah, really? You guys don't know Jack Squat. Honest to God. Two counts of aggravated robbery, one count of uh, aggravated kidnapping, one count of tampering or fabricating evidence. Oh, man, it's a shame. Marcus Williamson is a very solid dude, yeah? All right, I'm a bad guy. Marcus Williamson, a very solid dude. Right, right. He's the guy that lost his mind on Urban. He was all about love. Go to his Twitter handle. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Kidnapped a woman, forced her to withdraw 500 bucks. Uh Uh-huh. Felony charge. Oh, great guy. Great guy. I mean, he had all the answers. This happens all the time. You go get some disgruntled idiots, and you put them in the paper. You make them out to be something they're not, which is, I don't even know what you think they are. And next thing you know... Boom. Hell, I've seen it. I just had it happen to me. Two guys that got fired from our station. Oh, we're telling Greg Doyle everything. Yeah, good for you. Now, it's amazing. Totally amazing. Marcus Williamson. Go back and read his comment. He got all the answers, man. Uh Uh-huh. He was mean to me. I'm the kicker. Yeah, okay. I'm glad I coached when I play, I coached, and I'm glad I coached the players that I coached because they were tough-ass dudes that are still tough-ass dudes that are great dads, great husbands, fantastic in their communities, and I'm proud that I had a little, a little part in it, just a little in their lives. All right, I got headlines. Drive you nuts. I got headlines. I got Brady. I got Brady back. I got a lot. I got something weird happening in the upper deck at Oakland Coliseum. Our thanks to Urban for coming on. 
Yeah, my my backside. I'm not supposed to cuss. My backside. Little rider boy sniffing around. Go to Colts camp today. You'll see all these little guys. Never done nothing. But got all the... There's a lady named Courtney Cronin. Courtney Cronin. Bet she's never met Urban. She went on a 10-minute, what a bad guy Urban is. She never met him. Because if she'd met him, been around him, she wouldn't feel that way. I'll never forget listening on the show before mine. Some lady named Courtney Cronin. I guess she's a writer. I think the guy asked her, you ever meet him? No, I don't need to. Okay. Little sniveling writers. All right, we'll be right back. Man, I'm fired up. Sack the hell up and don't go anywhere. Don't at me. We'll be right back after this. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm fired up today. You get talking about idiots that write. The guy's writing about Urban. Did you see the deep dive the Atlantic did? Why would you believe that crap? You don't believe anything written on the front page? Anyway, Tom Brady's back, baby. And he's better than ever. That's right. 11 on 11. Tom Brady says no to the mass singer. Tom Brady put out, I guess this is a video. What do you call this, fellas? Ryan and uh, Dylan. I don't know. We got some... We got bicycles, Brady's selling underwear. I'm telling you, Brady's back. They're not going to make the playoffs. Don't at me about it. I don't care that he missed 11 days. I don't care that everyone's kissing. I don't know what this is. He's selling underwear. That's Tom Brady's, what is that, his Twitter account? That's his Twitter account. That's pretty stylish, though. That's pretty good. I don't know where this came from. But that was off of Brady's Twitter account saying, hey, I am not the masked singer. I th- well, maybe he is. Are you supposed to say, yes, I am the masked singer? You know what I'm saying? Nuh-uh. Hey, look, I'm the masked singer. Then there's no point in having a mask. Don't have a mask. If you're the masked singer, so what's he supposed to say? And I love the hat on him. I'm sure somebody will be offended. And if you are, good. I don't even know what that hat is. What the hell is that hat, fellas? I don't know. But I like it. I like it a lot. I do. I love it. I want it. I want some more of it. I tried so hard. I can't rise above it. Speaking of rising above it, I told you this the other day. Baker Mayfield, when the chips are down, is going to rise to the occasion. Baker Mayfield needs a cause. He needs something right here. He needs like, ah, you stinks. You're horrible. No, no. He doesn't need to be comfortable. You know, it's funny. I I told a former player of mine, this probably get me fired now. I said, Lenny, you know what you need to do? One of two things. I said, Lenny, you either need to take a base, or I need to take a baseball bat and hit you right in the head before a game to blank you off, or you need to meditate for 10 or 15 minutes in a room before a game and get yourself mad. Did you see Barry? Did you see the show Barry with Bill Hader? 
In Barry, for Barry to be an actor, he's got to go to a place where he hurt people. And then he becomes a really good actor. Then he could get parts. Same thing with Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's got to go to a place where he's shunned. Baker Mayfield's got to go to a place where nobody believes in me. At least that's in his own mind. Look, if you're the Heisman Trophy winner and you're the number one pick in the draft, I got to tell you, people pretty much believe in you, no? Right? No, I think so. So at the end of the day, Baker Mayfield had to go to that place when the Browns told him, get your you-know-what out of here. They said, we're gone. 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 So what did he have to do? He had to take humiliation. He had to sit on a couch of podcasts and act like he was above this until somebody, in this case, the Panthers, would pay, or excuse me, would take a trade by which they only had to pay about $4.5 million, $10 million paid by the Browns. The other 3 or $4 million could be made up in, in incentives. That's what Baker Mayfield had to do. He had to humble himself. It's what the Bible tells us. Humble yourself or I will humble you. That's right. So Mayfield went biblical on that, you know what. He had to humble himself. He did. And when he humbles himself, you know what happens with Baker Mayfield? He gets pretty good. I mean, just go back. All of a sudden, he goes into Ohio State. In the shoe, wins. Puts the flag in the middle of the horseshoe. Disrespectful, maybe. I didn't like it because Urban's my friend. But I didn't like, I didn't mind it from Mayfield's perspective. Then, out of the blue, he's the number one pick. Then he takes a team that won one game, third year, they get to the playoffs. Then he's out, gone, see ya. Hasta la vista, baby. Now, humbled. Now, he's on the right track. If they can keep McCaffrey, Christian McCaffrey healthy, you all tell me, uh, Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in the game. I say he's at best third. I say Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor, whatever way you want to do it. And then if McCaffrey can stay healthy, then we're third. But if that dude can stay healthy and that dude can stay sharp, you got a chance right now. Yeah, you do. In Carolina, you do. All right. This is old school. Tell your friends. This is old school. Dan Campbell held a coachless practice. Now, here's the deal. When I was a player at Indiana, Bob Knight told myself, and I was a junior and a senior named Chuck Franz, we're not practicing. What are we talking about? You guys are doing the practice. You don't want to listen to me? You do the practice. We're not doing any game preparation. We had boards up, you know, players and all this stuff, you know, individual personnel characteristics. Coach Knight, we're not doing it. Now, we're getting ready to go play Scott Skiles, Kevin Willis, Sam Vincent. Michigan State at Michigan State. So what are you going to do? Somebody's got to take control. I start running practice. Knight kind of scripts it. He calls me over in the middle of practice and cusses me out and tells me, you know what you should do, Dockage? I said, Coach, I don't. I'm, you know, what do I know? You all should get in a circle around our center, Uwe Blop. Everybody get a ball and just throw it at him. I go, what's that going to do? It's going to make him catch better. I said, okay, we're going to do it. We put Uwe in the middle. We're firing balls at him. It was like dodgeball in a circle. 
Uf was cussing at us in both German, Spanish, and English. English being the worst. We didn't care. We were firing because coach told us. They didn't coach. None of the coaches coached us. None of the coaches were there for our preparation. Knight's fat, you know what, was riding an old Schwinn Aerodyne bike at the end of the practice court. You know what happened? We won. We went into Michigan State with mine and Chuck Franz's scouting report, and we won. You know what the worst part of that was? I walked into the bathroom at the old Jenison Center, and in the locker room, it was the athletic department locker room. The toilet didn't have partitions. I walked in to go to the bathroom, and there's Coach Knight on the dumpster. No doors around him. He looks up. He goes, Dak, that was pretty good. I'm like, I know. I should scout every game. Don't get it. And he's, on, he's just letting one fly. It's a true story. All right. Fast forward. <laughs> this true story. He's sitting there. He was happy, though, because we won. I mean, damn, Skiles? Uh, Willis, Kevin Willis played in the NBA 100 years. Sam Vincent, 100 years. Might have been the highlight of my coaching career. I don't know. So fast forward. Here comes the Lions. Now, this was different. Dan Campbell said, I want to see if our players can take ownership. So this guy, Dan, uh, Danny Rogers. Wait, I think I know Danny Rogers. Danny Rogers says, hey, here's the practice. You ready? Here's the practice. Okay. What are we going to do? You know what we're going to do? We're going to practice without – oh, I know Danny Rogers. Danny Rogers is awesome. Danny Rogers should be on every single NFL broadcast. She is the fiancé of my, my son's college roommate. Yeah. That's right. Mark Donnell. Danny's awesome. So here's what Danny had to say. The Lions just went through an entire player-led practice. No coaches were out on the field besides Campbell. He quietly observed. See, Coach Knight's fat, you know what, was on a Schwinn Aerodyne. Taylor Decker said it was a unique practice. He's never experienced one like that before. Decker said it shows trust that this staff can rely on players to go out and get good work done on their own. Quarterback Tim Boyle. He said Lions coaches certainly scripted the practice and they're probably already in meeting rooms watching films to see if their calls played out in the practice. That's pretty cool. That's very cool. When I sent this to my guys, Dylan and Ryan, I didn't realize that Danny had done that. I like it. Good for you, Danny Rogers. When the, when the, um, uh, when the Lions win a big game, we're going to get Danny Rogers on the daggone show because Danny Rogers is a future star. I remember saying that about Taylor Rooks. Now look at Taylor Rooks. I remember she was a student in Champaign. I'm like, Taylor, you're going to be a superstar. And she was. But anyway, coachless practice. We had it 100 years ago because, well, frankly, we had lost a game and Coach Knight was not happy and did not want to coach us. I didn't blame him. That team only went to the Elite Eight. We weren't good enough. But the truth of the matter is, this is done to get players to talk, 
to get players to communicate, to get players to lead. You know, we'll have Tom Izzo coming up before college basketball starts, and Izzo and other coaches are always talking about one thing, player-led teams. You got to have a player-led team. Player-led team this, player-led team that. How do you get a player-led team? You put the onus on the players to lead the damn team. It ain't that hard. I did it a couple times at Bowling Green. Now, I didn't tell guys to fire basketballs at the center, but I guarantee I told them to do something that would get me fired today. But what are you going to do? Life goes on, baby. All right. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, 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 Anthony Fauci, America's masked man, America's highest paid government servant, America's man who I believe, I'm going to give him a little something here, was thrown into an untenable situation, is stepping down soon. That's right. He is going to walk away, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Here's the deal. Can we play a couple minutes of this great man's waffling on whether to wear a mask, not to wear a mask, who wears a mask, mask gives me gas, whatever. Can we do a couple minutes on this? We got a little People video should not be here walking around you. with masks. Let me just state for the record that masks are not theater. Wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better. And masks are protective. And we but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. There has not been any indication that putting a mask on and wearing a mask for a considerable period of time has any deleterious effects. There are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. And can you get some schmutz sort of staying inside there? Of course. You do not need to wear a mask indoors if, in fact, you've been vaccinated. But good that you're vaccinated. But in a situation where you have people indoors, particularly crowded, you should wear a mask. So even if you are vaccinated, you should wear a mask. If, in fact, you are vaccinated, fully vaccinated, you are protected and you do not need to wear a mask outdoors or indoors. When the children go out into the community, you want them to continue to wear masks. You know, if you look at at, at children outside, particularly when they're with the family, uh, walking down the street, playing a game or what have you, don't have to wear a mask. The, 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 the pediatric, the Academy of Pediatric, actually makes that recommendation that children should be wearing masks uh, from two years old onward. And you're asking now, if your child is a member of your household, can you walk outdoors with your child without a mask? According to that chart, the answer is yes. But the child can't, not to beat it, yeah. beat it to death. Yeah. Yes, yes. Because now the CDC says, I mean, I think I've got this right. One mask is better than zero masks. Two masks is better than one mask. But you don't have to have double masks. Is is that right? I mean, you know, it became clear that cloth coverings that you didn't have to buy in a store that you could make yourself were adequate. And then you want it to fit better. So one of the ways you could do it, if you would like to, is put a cloth mask over, which actually here and here and here where you could get leakage in is much better contained. Are you a double masker, Dr. Fauci? Look like you are. (laughs) 
Let me ask you a question, and I'm going to go to the YouTube chat to see if anybody on the YouTube chat or on Twitter has the answer. Where does Dr. Fauci stand on masks? <laughs> I mean, if you watch that, and you can tell me where Dr. Fauci stands on masks, I'll give you a cookie. Because I don't know. I guess, well, I guess we all should go to um, the end, uh, right? Should we go to the end and say, hey, look, uh, wear two masks? I don't know. LLP says, you must be really bored if you're talking about Fauci and masks. No, Fauci announced his retirement, so we're trying to celebrate the greatness. Here's one thing I never understood about Dr. Fauci. Why so public? Why do every talk show? You know, you're sitting in there, and you know what you don't know. At least I hope you know what you don't know. And knowing what you don't know might be the most important thing a person can know, if that makes any sense. So you know you have no idea what masks do or don't do. And you remember I told you this. Politicians and writers, which way's the wind blowing? Can I get more clicks as a writer doing this? See, if I were the Indy Star, I'd just do an article on me every day. It's the only thing anybody reads in this town based on the numbers. All right? So let me ask you. 20-inch dubs says he, whichever way he felt that day. That's true. That's what it seems like. Again, I go to this. Which way is the wind blowing? You look at that and you say to yourself, and I'll be honest with you, I don't even blame them for not knowing. I mean, look, he's in an untenable situation if we go by what is public. But I always say there's a backstory. I always say, yeah, what you see in front ain't what's really happening. And I believe these dudes knew about this virus a long, long time ago and had plenty of opportunity to get this thing right. And for whatever the reason, I don't know the reason. A lot of people feel like it's money. A lot of people feel like they're in bed with drug companies. I don't know. But whatever the reason, they now are saying they did not handle this well. Well, I would say you had plenty of opportunity to handle it well. What happened? And this is the leader. I don't understand why he want, went on every stinking show. I don't get it. I don't. I mean, he went on everything from all those shows that you saw to Mike Krzyzewski's podcast, for crying out loud. I, look, I understand people like publicity. I understand, and I say this all the time. One of the reasons so many politicians get into trouble is because for the first time in their lives, people are actually paying attention to them. One of the reasons news media are so sensitive to criticism is because for the first time in their lives, people are actually paying attention to them. It's one of the reasons I say I'm an entertainer. I say I'm an entertainer because I've been criticized my whole life. You get used to it when you're an athlete or as a coach. It comes with the territory. When you're a little writer boy 
and you've been hanging around athletes, and all of a sudden people recognize you because you're writing for whatever newspaper, or you're all of a sudden Dr. Fauci, man, criticism cuts deep because they're not supposed to. Wait, I'm the expert. People know me now. No, 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 no. So long story short, this guy had a bad situation. But I wonder the backstory. I'll always wonder the backstory. What did you know? When did you know it? And what could you have done differently if you were independent and for us, the American people? Because it sure seems like when you go back and look at a bunch of different stuff, this guy and others were about money, about protecting their jobs, protecting their status, protecting their power. Maybe I've got that all wrong, but that's what I see. The easiest thing in the world to do would be say, well, you know, he was in an untenable situation and did the best he could. Yeah. I mean, we could say that if you would like, but I don't think so. I don't think when you're in that position that you fall asleep at the switch on something as big as and as known as what was coming out of Wuhan and this virus. We worried about what to call it. How dumb are we? Instead of stopping it, we worried about, you're racist. You can't call it the Wuhan China virus. Who cares what you call it? Just do what's best for the American people and be prepared for it. That's the job. Speaking of the job, there was something going on here in the upper deck at the Oakland Athletics game. See those folks up there? Couple allegedly engages in a sex act at the Oakland A's game. Now, I'm going to use the word allegedly, but I think we all know that something was going on there and whatever, whatever was going on there, I guess, I think it shouldn't be legal. I guess, I think... You shouldn't do it in public, but if you get away with it in public, it's a pretty good story. And as I always told my players, you know, playing for a maniac, you're going to get a pretty good story out of it. You're going to have some great stories. I'm just saying, there's potentially bad news, this is on OutKick, for the Oakland A's fans who got caught on Sunday using an empty upper deck chair to engage in a sex act. Now, one of my former players chimes in. She was looking for her earring. (laughs) Hey, let me tell you something. I ain't mad at you. You know who I am mad at you? I'm mad at whoever, whoever decided to rat them out. They could face six months in jail. They won't. They could face fine up to a thousand, maybe. Seems like a stiff penalty to me. <laughs> BP, that was for you. Best point guard I ever coached, Brandon Pardon, chiming in. I'm mad. Will you just stop with the cameras? Will you just stop with taking the pictures of people in the upper deck having the sex? There's no reason to. A young couple on a nice sunny day decided, hey, look, we're going to go up as far away. We ain't bothering nobody. We ain't bothering nobody. Here's the police department 
The Oakland Police Department was not alerted to this until after the game. We have initiated our investigation. Let me ask you a question. How are we investigating? I'm guessing there wasn't a seat license attached to that seat way up there. You know I always have a story for everything. My ex-wife and I were watching Hot Tub Time Machine at the movie theater. There was nobody in the theater except a couple up up top. I heard bottles rattling. It was loud. I'm like, I walked up there. I go, hey, the girl was on top of the guy. They were having the sex. The guy's eyes were rolled back in his head. I looked at him and I said, continue what you're doing. And I went back and sat down. True story. Now, my question to me is, why did I go up there? In this day and age, a guy could get killed. But they were so damn loud, I walked up there. They were like, you know, they were bothered. There was like eight people in the theater, and everybody's kind of looking. And frankly, I just wanted to see what they were doing. The guy was sitting back. The girl was on top of him. Eyes rolled back in the head. They were having the sex. What can I tell you? Yeah. No part of me, not even any part of me, thought, well, I want to videotape this and put it out on my social media so that others can see it. What kind of clown does that? What kind of clown says, I'm going to tape you and we're going to put it out? You know what you do to somebody having the sex way up there? God bless you. God bless America. Am I wrong? I'm wrong. But I ain't wrong. I can see the article now. Dockage endorses the sex in Upper Deck. I'm not saying I endorse it. I'm just saying I ain't mad about it. Nothing to be mad about up there. What are you going to do? People having the sex. You ever been to the Oakland Coliseum? I think that's what it's called. Horrible. Like, those seats were so far away from the game, I don't know what else you'd do except for somebody look for their earring. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man, I can see the headlines now. I can. I can see the headline right now. Dockich endorses sex in stadiums. Yeah, if you're doing it up there, don't do it next to me. Look, my wife and I have a theory. Tell me if you agree. Nobody wants to see old people kiss. No. That's why, like, an airport, if she's catching a flight, if I'm going to give her a smooch goodbye on the flight, I do it in the car. I don't walk her in and give her a kiss. Used to be at the gate, right? I don't walk her in and do it at security. No. Nobody wants to see old people kiss. Nobody wants to see a couple having the sex. You think you do, but you don't, all right? You think you do, but you don't. I can promise you that. I can. All right. When we come back, I got my five all-time best. You're not going to like my best quarterbacks. You're not going to like, well, I'm going to start with my five all-time, not all-time, but current college football coaches. One of them you're not going to like. I don't care, but I think he does a great job. 
Uh, my five all-time right now, not all-time, my five stinking co- uh, coaches currently coaching NCAA Division I football. My five all-time, all-time great quarterbacks, quarterbacks. And then at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen with the Packers, and I'm going to tell you what's going to happen with the Giants. That's right. We've had a monster today. Monster show. Keep it right here. Where are you going? I'm 60, baby. <laughs> we'll be right back. That's it. I got to take a break. We'll be right back with more on Don't At Me across the Outkick Network. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Yeah, that's right. My wife created the rule. LLR created this rule. Dan, she doesn't want to be seen kissing you in public. No, Jody, trust me. Trust me. No. No. All right, Charlie Locke. All right, here's the deal. I got my five best and, and the college football coaches, you know, number one, Saban. Like, I'm not fooling nobody, right? I mean, I'm not doing that. But number five, you may not like this, but I'm going Kyle Whittingham, the coach of Utah. Utah is where? Middle of nowhere. Utah always, I don't know, was good. Okay. McBride was the coach. They had players. Then Urban came in, went undefeated. And then Kyle Whittingham has been the coach forever. He's 143 and 70. You know where he's got to go to get players? You know who he has to beat out to get players? He's got two conference titles, including winning the Pac-12 this past year. Think about Utah winning the Pac-12 over monsters like USC, Oregon, money programs like Arizona State, Washington. Kyle Whittingham is in the middle of the freaking country, daggone near. And all he does as a freaking icon in the great state of Utah is just win football games. Now, Urban started, and one of the most difficult things to do if you're not at Ohio State is follow a legend. And make no mistake, Urban Meyer is a legend in Utah. He took that thing over, and next thing you know, bam, bam, they were in the conversation for a national championship game. Remember the team? That had Alex Smith. Well, damn, people, Alex Smith and that crew went undefeated. That crew went undefeated, and that crew ended up, holy cow, two, three, four, whatever you want to call them in the country, at Utah. When Urban took the Utah job from Bowling Green, I was at Bowling Green, and people at Bowling Green made fun of him. Lateral move, they said. Are you crazy? Lateral move? Are you nuts? I saw the first game. Utah fans were insane. Bowling Green was 16th in the country. 16th in the country. And they got like 4,000 fans. Utah's playing their opener 
And they got a packed house of crazy people. So Urban does that. What does that have to do with Kyle Whittingham? Well, I'll tell you what it has to do. Kyle Whittingham has just expanded that to the point where year in and year out, they're a top 10 program. They're going to be a top. They are a top 10 program right now. They're seventh in the country. Now, you tell me, can they stay there? I don't know. But following an all-time legend, following a guy like Urban Meyer, man, they couldn't do it at Bowling Green. Did it for a few years. Greg Brandon was really good there. But now the program can't win a game. And when Urban Meyer left, he left Bowling Green a hell of a lot better than when he started at Bowling Green. Kyle Whittingham is not a good football coach. Kyle Whittingham is a great football coach. Tell you who else is a great football coach. Tell you this, Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly could be number two, but I'm putting him at number four. Why, you ask? I don't know. But Brian Kelly, I want you to listen to this. I want you to listen to this. Since 2018, now we know Brian Kelly's the winningest all time coach. We know Brian Kelly took over when freaking. Um, What's-his-face, I forget his name, was awful. Charlie Weiss, horrible. Tyrone Whittingham, horrible. Here comes Brian Kelly. Listen to this. Since the start of the 2018 season, this is from our friend Aaron Torres, Notre Dame is 44-7. and Listen to these losses. Alabama twice in the playoffs. Clemson at Georgia. At Michigan, Cincinnati, who made the playoff, and an 11-win Oklahoma State team. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. I mean, every year they play teams. Every stinking year. So, in Brian Kelly's regime, man, oh, man, people think that Notre Dame has been underrated, overrated. I don't care. Let's go through it. 19 or 2017, unranked. They ended up 11th. 2018, 12th, they were ranked. Ended up 5th. 2019, 9th to 12th. 2020, 10th to 4th. 2021, 9th to 8th. Man, uh, I think 5 is too high for a new coach that's going to start out at Ohio State, but certainly they could prove it. But when you look at Brian Kelly and what Brian Kelly did at Notre Dame, he's 263-96-2. and and Man, and you look at what he's done. He's taken Notre Dame to not one, but two Final Fours. You go to a Final Four in college basketball, you're on the Mount Rushmore of that school forever and ever and ever and ever. So that's why I'm telling you, those of you that don't believe in Brian Kelly – You're out of your mind. Don't believe the nonsense of, well, he had an accent. Who cares? Well, he was dancing. Who cares? He's out of his region. Who cares? It don't matter. Brian Kelly can coach him some football. Yeah, he can. Big time coach him some football. I'm a big fan of Brian Kelly. We got to get Brian Kelly on the show. He's always been good to me. He was roommates with my buddy Worm. At, no, at, at uh, Grand Valley State when they were both graduate assistants. Worm is now a Hollywood producer. I bet Worm has pictures. I ain't getting into it. Number three, Kirby Smart. 
You can make the argument Kirby Smart should be number two, but he's not. Let me tell you about Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart goes to Georgia and wins a national championship. Now, you say, SEC, man, you should win a national championship. Yeah? And won one since 1980, since Herschel Walker was the stud. Guys like me that were in high school when Herschel Walker was winning the Heisman Trophy, Herschel Walker said he never lifted. Herschel Walker said he did like 2,000 push-ups, 2,000 sit-ups a day. That inspired me. I did 10 sit-ups every night before I took a shower. That's right, 10 big ones. Uh Uh-huh, yeah. And I did 10 sit-ups. Not those crunch sit-ups, real sit-ups, pal. Don't at me. 10 whole push-ups. How do you think you get built like this? That's right, you do push-ups, 10 of them. He did 2,000, he gets built like him. I did 10, I got built like me. It's all about what you put into it. But Kirby Smart's only sitting here 65 and 15. Here's the best thing about Kirby Smart. This ain't slowing down. This is not a one-hit wonder. This is not, A, the Raspberry singing Go All the Way in the 70s. This isn't Looking Glass with the tune Brandy, which was a number one hit in 1972 which, by the way, was written by my Little League coach, Steve Homner. But I digress. This is not a one-hit wonder. This is a team that recruits maybe better than any. This is a coach that coaches maybe better than any. Just hasn't been there as long. Just hasn't done as much as the top two guys. But I got to tell you, one of the things that Kirby Smart is doing that, no pun intended, is very smart. He's saying, I don't want to play the Florida game in Jacksonville anymore, and I don't blame him. Why would I want to play Florida and Florida every year? I don't. Smart by Kirby Smart. See what I did there? I did it not once, but twice. Look, he has out Nick saban Nick Saban. Let me go through Kirby Smart's record. I actually love this, and I'm going to do the same thing with my next guy. Georgia, first year, 8-5. and five. Okay, 4-4, four and four, won the Liberty Bowl next year. Woo-hoo. College football playoff, 13-2. and two. Won the Rose Bowl, national championship game. Guy named Tua came in the second half, 11-3, and 12-2, and 8-2 abbreviated, 14-1 and one in a national championship. In his time in Georgia, he's been second in the East, first in the East, first in the East, first in the East, second in the East, first in the East with a national championship. That's pretty good. 40-9 in the SEC. I don't know what to tell you. But if you got somebody that should be ahead of Kirby Smart, God bless you. I do have somebody that probably could be ahead of uh, Winningham, but I don't care. And that would be Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher's won three ACCs, won a national championship. You could put him in there, but I'm not. You know why? I don't like him. I'm not sure why I don't like him, but I don't like him. Media bias. All right. Numero two, a.k.a. numero dos, Dabo Sweeney. Now, I remember where I was when Dabo Sweeney got the job. Uh, It was 2008. I was driving back from the Big Ten Network. I was working there. He became the interim coach. Coach seven games went three and two. They were smart enough, though, at Clemson to say, yo, Dabo, we want you to stay on as the head coach. Great. 
didn't start well for Dabo. And if you look at the history of coaches, a lot of them don't start well. Krzyzewski's the main guy, right? I mean, he thought he was going to get fired. There's that epic meal at Denny's where somebody says, let's forget this bad loss in his third year. And he says, no, let's remember it, blah, 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 blah. No different with Dabo Sweeney. Let me go through this third year, six and seven. He starts out four and three, nine and five, although he did come in first in the Atlantic Division at six and two in the SEC or ACC. And then he goes six and seven. And then it's on, ladies and gentlemen. Then it's on. Dabo Sweeney, I wrote it down here 11 straight double digit win seasons. There's an undefeated season in there in 2018, which he lost. No, he won the national championship. Yeah, he won. What the hell? He didn't lose. What? What? You go undefeated and you lose the national championship game? Somebody talk to me. Uh, Then he goes basically 14 and one the next year loses the national championship game. But both of those years, he goes 8-0 in the ACC. Then he goes 8-1 in 20, 6-2 last year. In a down year, he's 10-3. Here's the deal with Dabo Sweeney. I want you to think about this. The state's named South Carolina. That's the name of the state. South Carolina has ran a bunch of coaches through here, right? to compete with Dabo Sweeney. I love Shane Beamer. He was on yesterday. He was fan-frickin-tastic. I am a Shane Beamer fan. But think about where Dabo Sweeney in this little town of Clemson, South Carolina. Little. I better not go like that. That's some kind of, I don't know. But anyway, this little town of Clemson, South Carolina. Where does he get his players? I mean, he's got to go to Georgia. He's got to compete with South Carolina, Alabama. I mean, this it's not like Florida. When Urban took the Florida job, he knew three hours circumference, I can get players and win a national championship. That ain't it at Clemson, South Carolina. No, it's not. Look at my man. 91 and 19 in the ACC. Let's take out the first six years. He lost eight games. He's lost 11 games. The first three years. He's lost 11 games in the last eight. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. In the last 10 years, he's lost 11 games in his conference. One a year. It's a pretty good coach. No, that's a damn good coach. But, you know, uh, he ain't the best. Because the best is the best of all time. Nick Saban's the best football coach in college football in the history of college football. Don't at me. I'm not telling you nothing you don't know. But it's not like he had a laydown. I've done this before. The coaches that were ahead of him did not have great years. David Shula, are you kidding me? Mike DeBose had a great year. Gene Stallings, obviously very good. But the coaches that were ahead of him, not great. So all, well, Nick Saban's done is win 10 SEC titles, seven national championships, and, oh, I don't know, he's number one in the country now. I mean, the dude, what he has done is insane. And you know what else? He just kind of does it. I don't know. Is it under the radar? Is that right? That can't be right. That's not the way to put it. It can't be under the radar.
I don't think the man is under the radar, but he's done it with a sense of humor, particularly here of late. He seems like he's comfortable. He's opened up. His interviews are great. I'm trying to get him on our show. He's tremendous. Look, I don't care what happened with the Miami Dolphins. I don't care. What I know is I'm rating the best college football coaches of all time, or at least current college football coaches, and this dude is unbelievable. Did you know that Nick Saban, only one time since 2010, has lost two games in the SEC? Two games. One time in his career, you take out 2007, his first year, all right, when he was an interim coach, he's lost over two games in the SEC twice, his fourth year and then in 2019. The man is 103 and 18. He's 102 and 14 if you take out his first year. I got to tell you, listen to these numbers. Going back to 2015, 12 and 2 isn't even in this in the picture. 2015, 14 and 1, 16, 14 and 1, 13 and 1 and 17, 18, 14 and 1, 19, 11 and 2, 13 and 0 and 20, 13 and 2. In 21, lost national championship game. And as we have discussed on this show, Nick Saban's crew views the national championship trophy as what? Huh? A participation trophy. Not worthy. What the hell? It, when you look at coaches, it's really amazing. Now, it really is. It's astounding what these four guys have been able to do in different situations. And frankly, I think I have this ranking right. Don't at me. I think I have it absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wow. I don't know what it means, but if that happens, you might as well say the smarts have gone down the tube. I don't know what you're talking about there, Slicks. I don't know. I have no idea. But I do know this. I think I got this one nailed 100% correct. I do. Yeah, I do. Longevity, Kurt Ferentz. But I don't think he's great. I mean, it's like Iowa's going to Iowa. All right. Let's move it along. Top five quarterbacks in my lifetime. Not your lifetime. My lifetime, a lot of years' lifetime is like this long. Mine's this long. I'm old. Number five. The snake, Kenny Stabler. Let me explain this to you. Kenny Stabler was 1,000% the man. Kenny Stabler would throw a pass, I swear to you, I'm telling you, you knew it was complete. I'll never forget. One time in my life, they come in to play the Bears. Every pass was complete. Now, this is in an era where people didn't complete passes. His career passing 
percentage was only 60%. But I'm telling you right now, when you look at Kenny Stabler, let me give you some numbers. 194 touchdowns to 222 interceptions. Yeah, I don't care. He went, though, to five consecutive conference championship games. It's a record that was only surpassed by Tom Brady. As of the 2020 season, Favre, Kelly, Manning, McNabb, Rodgers, uh, Roethlisberger, he was sixth for most conference championships appearance, fourth most AFC championship games. When it was on the line in an era where people didn't throw the football, the snake was the best. You can at me about it. You can look at numbers. I don't care. The snake was the best. I'm trying to see his best year. He, he ended up, ladies and gentlemen, winning a Super Bowl. He should have won a Super Bowl. He, ironically enough, played at Alabama. His best passing year at Alabama was 1,200 yards. You know who else played at Alabama? Joe Namath. Weird, right? All I'm telling you is Kenny Stabler. Kenny Stabler was the best that I saw as a left-handed quarterback. I know there are others with better numbers, but I am telling you, the snake, when he played football, he was a leader. He had a crazy group around him and he was crazy, but man, oh man, could that dude throw a football on time, on target in an era where nobody threw a football on time and on target. People are going to get mad at me about this. People aren't going to like this. But my next one, number four, is Peyton Manning. I think Peyton's terrific. He's the fourth best quarterback I ever saw in my lifetime. What do you want me to tell you? He's got every record. He's unbelievable. But in 14 years here with the Colts, he went to a Super Bowl. He went to two Super Bowls, won one. And everybody tells me, everybody tells me about the greatness of all of these guys, all these guys, Dallas Clark, the OGs. Oh my God, they're great. He's great. Fourth all time in my lifetime. Are you kidding me? He's got a ton of records, but let me ask you a question. Why did the volunteers win a national championship after him? That had nothing to do with Peyton Manning. Tell you this, the Colts went two and 14 when he got hurt. Peyton Manning is as good off the field now as anyone or he has ever been on the field. Peyton Manning won Super Bowl two out of four, right? When he went to the Broncos. I don't know why anybody wouldn't say he's the greatest quarterback, or I think you could say he's the greatest quarterback ever, not named Tom Brady. You could say that. But when I watched, I didn't think he was. I thought he threw a great ball. I thought that Peyton got bailed out a lot by his defense. I don't think what he did needs to be besmirched by saying that. Every great player gets bailed out. My number two guy got bailed out all the time. Peyton Manning threw for 65% completion rate, 71,940 yards. Did you know when he was with the Denver Broncos, he threw for 5,477 yards? You look at these numbers and it's insane. 
So the Colts cut him in 2011 after the season. You know what he did? Jimmy Irsay, they got a new GM, my friend Ryan Grigson. Ryan Grigson didn't cut him. That was totally a Jimmy Irsay thing. They didn't think he was going to play. You know what Peyton Manning did? Plays all 16 games, goes 13-3, and three, passes for, listen to this, 4,659 yards. I don't know what to tell you. I'm looking at these things, and I'm thinking I'm nuts. Then in 2013, he throws for 55 touchdowns and only 10 interceptions, 5,400 yards. I think I'm completely out of my mind here. I do. They get to the Super Bowl, and he's okay. You know, I don't know. They get to the Super Bowl the next year. People say it wasn't on him. Yeah, I don't care. He's a quarterback. They won the Super Bowl. Peyton Manning should be higher. I'll agree with you, but he's not. I'll tell you who's number two. You ain't going to like it. Quarterback that I saw throw a football and win. Wait. No, no, no. Oh, wait. Peyton Manning was number four. Ooh, that's not good. Anyway, number three, Joe Montana. That's right. Joe Montana. Joe Cool. A lot of people think he's the best quarterback in the history of quarterbacks. Probably is. You can make the case for him, Manning, any of these guys. But I got him at three. Why do I have him at three? I'll tell you why I have him at three. Because I never really liked the way he threw the football. Was he clutch? Of course. Was he great? Yes. Are you nuts? Is he an all-timer? I got him as my number three. But I never really, when I watched him, thought, you know what? This guy throws a great football. He put it right there. He had great players. He was clutch as hell. He was clutch in college. The cotton ball, he was sick. He made a pass. Uh, I think McAfee caught it. He was great. Still is great. Nothing wrong with Joe Cool. He's doing Skechers ads. Respect. But I'm just telling you, four-time Super Bowl champ, three-time MVP, two-time most valuable player, offensive player to your comeback player to your three-time first-team All-Pro, two-time second-team, eight-time Pro Bowl, two-time passing leader. Should I go on? I just never thought he threw the ball that great. I'm wrong. I know I'm wrong on both of these guys. But I never thought he threw the ball as well as the guy that I have as number two. And the guy that I have as number two is Terry Bradshaw. Now I can hear it right now. You work for Fox. You work for Fox. Of course you got Bradshaw. No, I just thought Terry Bradshaw threw the great football. Best football I've ever seen. He did a weird thing. He put his finger on the back of the ball like this. See what, uh, wait, see what I'm doing there? Like So he held it on the side and put his finger in the back, and he threw it like a baseball. And I love the way the dude threw the ball. Now, he had great receivers, John Stallworth, Lynn Swan. Are you kidding me? He used the tight end. Four-time Super Bowl champ, two-time Super Bowl MVP, most valuable player in the league, three-time Pro Bowl, two-time passing champ, all-decade team of the 70s, sportsman of the year. I don't know what to tell you. It's not that far-fetched to say that Terry Bradshaw – see, Terry Bradshaw, to me – doesn't get the love that Terry Bradshaw deserves. Terry Bradshaw deserves love. Terry Bradshaw deserves a lot of love. Is he the second best? I don't know. I'm not sure. 
but he's pretty damn good. All right, you guys know this. Um, here's the deal. The best quarterback ever is Tom Brady. You know, the best throw in the football that I've ever seen is either Brady or Bradshaw, one of the two. Take your pick. But Tom Brady, I'll take him. He throws a football like you're supposed to throw a football. Like, if you were going to do um, what? If you were going to do a uh, ba, 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 drop back, throw the football, guess what? Tom Brady would be your guy. Tom Brady would be your man. All right? He would be. And then, of course, the numbers all back him up. You know, the fact that he's still playing at 106 years old tells you he's pretty damn good and he's playing at a high level. The fact that he just went 13-4 and last year tells you he's pretty good High level, seven Super Bowl titles, five Super Bowl MVPs, three most valuable players, two offensive player of the year, comeback player of the year, three first-team All-Pro, three second-team All-Pro, 15-time Pro Bowl, five-time passing leader, four-time NFL passing yards leader, two-time rating leader, all decades in the tw- 2000s, all decades in the 2010s, 100th anniversary team, yada, 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 national champion in football, most career quarterback wins, most career passing attempts, most career passing completions, most career passing touchdowns, most career passing yards, most pass completions in a season, longest touchdown pass, 99, tied with a bunch of people. 84,000 yards passing for the 199th pick. He's the best quarterback I've ever seen. But that's a damn good list. And the interesting thing about that list is that Kenny Stabler came up and he had to beat out Daryl LaMonic. Peyton Manning came up and he was given the reins. Joe Montana at the end of the career ended up in Kansas City because they wanted, frankly, Joe, uh, Steve, Steve Young. Terry Bradshaw had Terry Hanratty and Joe Gilliam breathing down his neck all the time. There was competition for these guys. Tom Brady had to come off the bench to prove himself. Isn't it interesting that competition matters to the guys that I think are the best? I'm telling you, Joe Gilliam was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Terry Hanratty, I think the same. When Terry Hanratty came out of Notre Dame, he was the man. You know where Bradshaw went? Louisiana Tech. Yeah, he did. Louisiana Tech. I don't know. All I know is this. That's five damn good quarterbacks, and I got it right. Don't at me, people. All right, when we come back, when we come back, we're going to talk about the Packers, and we're going to talk about the Giants. Stay right here. Where the hell are you going? I don't like that people are leaving. Don't leave me. And then, of course, we got woke-a-dope. Some dope that's woke that acts like an idiot. Woke-a-dope. Next, after, Giants and the Packers. Aaron Rodgers still crying? I think so. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. Got to take a short break here. We are rolling with Don't At Me, and you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. 
Hey, welcome back to Don't At Me. What a monster day today. I've given you everything I got. I got up at 4 in the morning getting ready for this show. Don't know why, just did. Came downstairs, uh, wrote an article for OutKick that should be published here any day now. And uh, yeah, took another nap, got up, and away we go. I am rocking and rolling, shaking and baking. All right, let's get serious about the NFL. Look, you all watch the NFL. You all want to watch the NFL. You all love the NFL. Y'all love the Green Bay Packers, and the Green Bay Packers starts and ends with one guy, Aaron Rodgers. Now, let me throw something out to you, and I would ask you this as a former athlete, you as a former athlete, is it okay for a quarterback to call out young receivers? Are you one of those that says, well, they're going to lose their confidence? Are you one of those that says, hey, look, My high school coach or my college coach was the nastiest dude ever, and he made me what I am today, and if you can't take criticism, you can't play. I'm somewhere in between. I think players today aren't exactly programmed to hear negative stuff. Like, if you've worked in a workplace with anyone in their 20s, the easiest thing, the slightest slight, makes them feel like you are, quote, attacking them. All right. Well, Aaron Rodgers did just that. Aaron Rodgers called out his young receivers, and he's got some. He's got a guy named Romeo Dubes, who apparently has a lot of talent but keeps dropping passes. He's got another guy, Christian Watson, who missed the first half of training camp. He was a second-round pick. He missed the first half of training camp with a knee. He's got another guy, a seventh-round pick, uh, Samori Tori, which is a cool name. Now, all of a sudden, all these guys – are, quote, getting better. But here's my question to Rodgers, and he answered this question, but I don't believe his answer. Let me ask you a question. If you're going to call out young receivers and you know you lost your two best, particularly your best, Adams, now in Oakland, shouldn't you have showed up to OTAs? Like the coach in me says, hey, look, I want to listen to you, Aaron. I think you have something to tell us. Your leadership is loved, expected, but hey, certain years, no. Devontae Adams here, do what you want, man. But this isn't one of those years. The guys that I mentioned are all rookies. The guys that I mentioned are all going to get used to. And you know Aaron Rodgers is not going to play in the preseason. So the question is, should he have showed up in OTAs? Here's his answer. You know, not really. Training camp is a long experience. There's plenty of time for conversations, for practice, for a lot of things they expect they expect them to do in the regular season. I rely on the coaching staff to pass on the message as we're learning the offense, and then I'm kind of like the 202 professor. They've got to get kind of base concepts, and then I come in, we have an offense outside of the paper offense. Now, I got to tell you, I don't know if he's back on the shrooms, but what the hell does that mean? Here's what I deciphered from that. Aaron Rodgers feels like he doesn't have to come to OTAs because that's the time for the coaches to get the offense in with the players so that he doesn't have to go through the growing pains with young wide receivers. He can come in as the second level, 202. English 100, not the same level as English 200. Same with history, Matthew, you get the point. 
So that's what Rodgers is doing here. He's saying, hey, I don't need to come in here until it's time for me to come in here. All right. Here's his answer to the guys now. I feel like there's been a few guys who've made the jump mentally as we've gotten into the second and third week of camp. Sammy Watkins. Sammy being one of them. I feel like he's been playing faster and making more precise decisions. But again, you've got to have realistic expectations for our guys, not just the young players. Okay. Well, that's cool. All right. You got two of their linemen, Jenkins and Bacardi, whatever his name is, are battling their way back. But let's be honest. Uh, I don't think, I do think that the Green Bay Packers are going to own the Chicago Bears. But I also think that the Green Bay Packers are going to take a step back. I'm telling you, what I saw out of the Detroit Lions was better than what I thought I would saw. See, what I thought I would saw? Where'd I go to school? What am I doing? So I think they're better. I know the Minnesota Vikings are better. I don't think they're better. I know they're better. What's the running game of the Packers going to be like? What's the passing game of the Packers going to be like? A.J. Dillon, 800 yards. I think it would behoove the Packers to get a 1,000-yard guy in there. That's just what I think. As a team, they almost rushed for 2,000 yards, 1,900. 100 of those from Rodgers, 799 from Jones, 800 from Dylan, I think that's great. Better not slow that down. What are the wide receivers going to give you? Don't know. Adams accounted for, listen to this, 123 catches. Think about that. 1,500 yards. 11 touchdowns. Wow. That's a bunch. So when you look at it, you go, oh, man, uh, I think we need him. And guess who else isn't there? Veldez Scandling. Marquise Veldez Scandling. He caught 55 balls. Uh, No, I just lied to you. He was targeted 55 times. He caught 26 balls. So you've got basically 150 catches out the door. You've got 2,000 yards out the door. And you got a bunch of young guys in the door. I don't know what to tell you, but I do know this. You're going to be the MVP this year, Aaron Rodgers. God bless you. God bless you. I'm just saying. All right, let's look at their schedule. I told you I think the Vikings are better, and I think the opener at the Vikings is going to be really, really difficult. They'll beat the Bears, but then they got to go to the Bucs, and the Pats come in. You know, it's interesting. These, there's teams, including the Buccaneers, that play ridiculously hard schedules to start the season. I don't view this as ridiculously hard, but I do view this as interesting. They could be a smooth one and two because I do think the Vikings are going to be much better. I do think the Bucs will be okay. Now, I can see them beating the Bucs too. I mean, Tom Brady just got back to camp for crying out loud. They'll own the Bears. Bears aren't going to be any good for a few years. Then you got the Giants and the Jets. You'll win that. So I think at minimum, at minimum, you start out here probably four and two. Then you got three straight road games. Washington with Carson Wentz eh, 
at the Bills, that'll be sexy. And at the Lions, I'm telling you, I think the Lions are better. Then you got the Cowboys, the Titans, the Eagles. See, I'm not mad at their schedule. I don't think that their schedule is all that difficult. And as you know, I always go by the road games. Obviously, you got the division road games on the road, right? At the Vikings, at the Bears, at the Lions. We know that. That All right, that's fine. I mean, it ain't great. It ain't bad. It's not anything. It's just what it is. Okay. But here are the non-conference road games, and I feel like this is where you make your money. At the Buccaneers, at Washington, at the Bills, at the Eagles, at the Dolphins. Now, let me ask you a question. You have one, two, three, four, five games on the road. I got to be missing one. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I got to look that back up. Because right now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. There's no way they play 10 home games and seven road games. So I screwed that up. So let me take a quick look. Uh, At Tampa Bay, at Washington, at Buffalo, at Philadelphia, at Chicago. Yeah, what did I screw up? Oh, I didn't do the rest of the schedule. At Miami, yeah, I did. What the heck am I doing? Yeah, yeah, there's another one. Now I got it right. Yeah. Not used to getting it right. All right. One, two, three, four, five. What? How can you only play seven road games? Three, four, five, eight. I got them for eight here. All right. At Philadelphia. I'm sorry. Yeah. All right. I ain't mad at it. At the Buccaneers, they won't be favored. At Washington, they'll be favored. Right? At the, at, at the Vikings, they may not be favored. At Tampa Bay, they may not be favored. Vikings probably will be. At Washington, favored. At the Bills, not favored. At Detroit, probably favored. At Philadelphia, favored. At Chicago, I missed that one. At Chicago, favored. At Miami, favored. I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but that's how you should look at a schedule. I mean, if you're really looking at a schedule, you look at what can happen on the road because if you're any good, then you win at home. Pretty much that simple. All right? Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the over-under. I'm curious. What do you think the over-under is? They got them at 11. I don't know about 11. I'm not saying they can't. That means they got six losses somewhere in here. I think the over-under is probably at the right number, and I think I'm not taking it. I'm not taking that. Now, you say to yourself, well, they're going to beat the Bears twice. They're going to beat the Lions twice. Maybe. Lions are better. Let's just say they do. Bears twice, Lions twice. They're going to beat the Packs and the Giants, so that's six. They're going to beat Washington. They're going to beat the Titans, are they? They're going to beat the Rams? I don't know. I wouldn't take it. I'm telling you, I wouldn't take it. All right, let's move over to the Giants. Tons of conversation about Daniel Jones. Every single throw, Daniel Jones throws. You know what happens? Oh, midseason four. 
All right. Mid-season form. Mid-season form. All right, so let's go mid-season form with Daniel Jones. You know what that means? He's throwing a ball over someone's head. That's what it means. All right, I got to tell you, I saw Daniel Jones. I wasn't that mad at Daniel Jones. I mean, the game that I saw, he played pretty well. But here's the deal. You guys know this. I know this. You get on the wrong side of the damn media, and next thing you know, you're screwed. And he deserves to be on the wrong side of the media because, frankly, their team hadn't been any good. I want their team to be good. 2,400 yards in 11 games. He got hurt. Ten touchdowns, seven interceptions. They ended up with Jake Fromm, Mike Glennon. No. Running game, Saquon Barkley, 13 games. Let me ask you a question. If you were going to say to me, what's the key? What's the key to the uh, New York football giants? Now, remember, they just lost Thibodeau, who was the number one prospect coming into the NFL draft. He fell a little bit, but he did get cut blocked, and now he's out for a few weeks. He's got a meniscus. But let me ask you a question. What or whom is the key to the New York football giants? You're going to tell me Daniel Jones, and I'll tell you maybe. A lot of me would tell you, well, you know, it probably is Saquon Barkley. You know, Saquon Barkley played in 11 games last year. They won two. Two. When he ran for 100 yards, they scored three points. Three. That's the only time he ran for 100 yards. Now, he carried as much as, I don't know, 16, 15, I don't know. But I know this. If you're going to have a football team, if you're going to have a football team that anybody gives a rat's about, you're going to have to have Saquon Barkley finally play football like a guy that was allegedly the greatest running back ever. Oh, my God, all these other guys shouldn't be picked so early except Saquon Barkley. Is that right? I remember watching Saquon Barkley play Iowa. Saquon Barkley played at Penn State. It was a great game. And Saquon Barkley was fantastic. And after the game, Saquon Barkley got interviewed. And I thought to myself, this is the guy. I love this guy. So I'm a big fan of Saquon Barkley. But the truth of the matter is, if you're Saquon Barkley, what have you done? Serious business. What have you done? Is there anything that you've done to say, I deserve all of the commercials all of the accolades that I have received. Saquon Barkley is actually one of those guys that you can't really talk bad about because everybody will tell you how good he is. He was a second pick in the draft. Now let me ask you a question. Is he really the second pick in the draft? I mean, 1,300 yards as a rookie, 1,000 yards second year, Two games, 34 yards, third year. And then last year, 13 games. He's played one 16-game season. That's it. Now, I don't know about you, but I got to have weapons. And if I don't have weapons, I can't compete in the NFL. And I don't know about you, but Jonathan Taylor has jumped all over Saquon Barkley. Let me go to the receiving court. You like any of these guys? Do you know the number one receiver 
played in 14 games. Kenny Galladay, he had 521 yards total. He was targeted 76 times and made 37 catches. That's it. That's all. This is an inept offense. And until you get this offense figured out, you are not doing nothing. The over-under on these guys is seven. That's seven and ten for a push. Eight and nine. Now let me go through this. Their road games. Let me go from the top. At the Titans, at the Packers, at the Jags, at the Seahawks, at the Cowboys, Commanders, Vikings, and Eagles. Now I don't know about you, but they ain't beating the Titans. They ain't beating the Packers. Jaguars, we'll see. Seahawks, don't know. They ain't beating the Cowboys. They probably could beat the Commanders. They are not, absolutely not beating the Vikings, and who knows about the Eagles. Their other games include the Colts in Indianapolis. I don't know. The Ravens. I don't know. Ravens pretty good. They get a break second game against the Panthers. They could actually start the season okay, but you're going to have to beat the Cowboys. You go with the Titans, you play three straight at home, Panthers, Cowboys, and Bears. Then you got the Packers. So you could potentially, if you're going to get the seven wins, you better be three and two. Right? Then your next five, you got the Ravens at home, at the Jags, at the Seahawks, Texans, and Lions. That's the soft spot of your schedule. I don't think you're beating the Ravens, but you can certainly beat the Jags. You can go another three and two. That's five and four. Then you got the Cowboys at the Cowboys, Commanders and Eagles at home, and then you got the Commanders and Vikes. Let's go, I don't know, let's go two and three. There's your seven. Then you got to go to the Vikings, Colts at home, at the Eagles. I'm telling you, that seven's a great number. It's not kind of a good number. That seven is a boss hog number, baby. No, it's really good. Seven is dynamite. Man. You can see where eight could be in play. You could also see where five could be in play. And I'm telling you, based on what I've seen, and I know Daniel Jones is on the wrong side of the media, but based on what I've seen, there ain't a lot of hope in Daniel Jones. And only one time in his career has Saquon Barkley played more than 16 games. They just had their number one pick, Thibodeau, hurt out for at least three weeks. That's going to end up being five. Next thing you know, you don't have him. Next thing you know, you're hoping to get a win. Period. I don't know. The New York football giants, that's going to be a tough one. I would take, I wouldn't take that bet because you're going to be feeling good and I could see the rug pulled out from under you. In fact, you're going to be feeling, if they get off to the kind of start that I said, you're going to be feeling like this is a lock city, baby. And then all of a sudden you're going to go, wait, wait. Road game, Colts, oh, my God, road game. Two division. well, the Vikings, who are good, the Colts, and the Eagles. Actually, three of the last four on the road. Who knows what's going to happen with the Commanders? Who the hell knows? I don't know. Nobody knows. If you do, let me know. Because right now, here's what you got on Twitter. 
You got Commanders fans hyping up Carson Wentz and downplaying Matt Ryan. You got Colts fans saying, see, Carson Wentz can't play dead. We're lucky to have the next Peyton Manning here. And it all gives you a headache. It just does. All right, boys and girls, who's our woke dope today? Man, there are so many to choose from. There are so many. I was just looking at Albert Pujols. Cubs lost one to nothing. Pujols went out and drilled. With, look at our girl. She's always on here. She, she is the gift that keeps on giving. <sighs> Leanna Wynn, she's a physician. She is a op-ed columnist of guess what? The Washington Post. CNN medical analyst. Practicing physician. She's got books, When Doctors Don't Listen, How to Avoid Misdiagnosis. Let's read what Ms. Wynn had to say. All right? Ms. Wynn. The unvaccinated should not be allowed to leave their homes. This was 9 10 21, a year ago. Go get them, Miss Wynn. Uh-oh. Fast forward to a couple days ago, 8-15. Everyone should choose the level of precaution appropriate to their family situation without judgment. I'm concerned about those who advocate for broad restrictions for all publicity, but don't live those values in their personal lives. That hurts trust in public health. All right. I think we we need an interpreter. Can we put that up again? She's basically saying, live what you say. Okay. I'm concerned about those who advocate for broad restrictions for all publicity, but don't live those values in their personal life. That hurts public trust. Okay. I think public trust gets hurt when one minute you're being very definitive about we, not we, I'm vaccinated, but the unvaccinated shouldn't even be allowed to leave their house to a year later. Ah, choose the level of precaution appropriate. You, we, we do this every day. We do. This goes on every single day. Now, I guess the argument could be, well, things change. All right. All right. But I don't know. Couldn't the second tweet have been the first tweet? Or do we have to remain so woke and so on top of our wokeness that we absolutely can't do that? We can't let the second tweet uh, be first because that, would slow down our incessant wokeness, and we must stay true to the wokeness. Man. You know, it'd be interesting. It'd be interesting if people just were honest. It'd be interesting if people just said, you know what? This is what I know. People in that lady's position. This is what I know. This is what I think you should do. Instead of people in that position telling us what 
we have to do. We should not be allowed to leave our house, this woman says, highly educated, very smart. And then a year later, the whole thing changed. I wonder why. I do. I wonder why. I personally think everything goes back to, to Trump. Everything goes back to making sure, as best you can, Donald bad Biden, good. Now, it's an impossibility to any free-thinking person. It's completely insane to think that we would support this particular administration in any way, shape, or form. But yet people do. Now, they don't do it based on merit. They do it based on trying to make Donald Trump look bad. And I've always said Donald Trump can look bad on his own. Just tell us the truth. Donald Trump, I mean, I've said before and I'll say again, that ain't my guy. You guys think that's my guy? That ain't my guy. I don't have a guy. You know what I have? Somebody, anyone, anyone in any type of power situation, just be honest. Just tell us what's up. We can handle it. We can make our own decision. We're pretty smart. You smart people think that us people that aren't real smart are real dumb. We're not. We didn't go to Stanford or we didn't go to Harvard or we didn't go wherever, but we also don't let our views get swayed because of a political party. We just kind of, we pay attention. And in paying attention, there's a bunch of power in that. It's fun to pay attention. It's fun to have your own views. Let's see where this lady went. Cal State, Los Angeles, Washington U, and of course, she went to Oxford. So she's very smart. And she's got an incredible background. I don't know why anybody, anytime, anywhere that is very smart with an incredible background would let themselves be even a little bit compromised because they root for a political party or they root against a particular party or an individual of that party. I don't, you know, I just don't get it. But it's not for me to get. It's just for me to make fun of. And that's what I choose to do. Uh, I got to tell you, thanks for today. Today was a great day. We had great viewership. The YouTube chat was popping. The Twitter chat was, insult chat was insulting. Urban was great. Our top five quarterbacks, fantastic. Our top five um, college coaches can't be questioned. That's what you get here every day. That's what you get on OutKick. You get real. You get fantastic, and you get all of this. Now, I will be on 107.5 The Fan live from Colts Camp. I will be at Colts Camp. The Colts will not be playing anybody. I'm sure it'll be dull. I'm going to change my shirt because it's going to be hot outside, and I realize that this shirt does get a little warm even under these hot lights. But if you want to catch my act, you can catch it at 107.5thefan.com. Tomorrow at 9 o'clock, we're going to be right back here. We're going to have a little What the Hell Wednesday. Crazy things going on. Maybe we'll update you on the couple that was caught having the sex up in the cheap seats at Oakland Alameda Coliseum, as it used to be called. We'll see what's going on in the NFL. We'll talk to you about what's going on in college football. We'll get you a great guest. We appreciate you being here. Hope everybody has an absolute marvelous rest of your day. Outkick 360, Clay's show, Tommy's show, no other place to be than at Outkick. Go to outkick.com as well. See you, everybody. Have a great afternoon.